this episode of the Full Nerd, Threadripper Pro, best games of 2020 and fall game 2020 schedule. Welcome to episode 145. I'm your host, Gordon Ung, with co-host Brad Charkis. This is Genuine Me. Genuine Brad. And very special guest, Hayden Digman. Hello. And Adam Patrick Murray is controlling the vertical and horizontal. You know, Hayden, we've uh, we've been through a lot of fun videos together. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna miss you. For those who don't know, this, uh, Hayden is is moving on from uh, PC World, and man, I, I think about I think about one video specifically that uh, that that we didn't get out uh, that we kind of filmed before quarantine, or I guess it was late last year. Do you remember the 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 W or no uh, WWE one? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. That that one's never going to yeah. see the light of day. But <laughs> yeah, was that was actually a, a good video? There was a lot of great video in there. Uh, Adam and I covered E three basically by ourselves for like f- four or five years, which uh, it was fun, man. Really, uh, really makes a bond that you can't break. So. Right, right out, right outside that uh, that Doritos. Uh, yeah, Adam filmed me eating Doritos in front of the Doritos experience. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Oh, what man. was that like? I, oh, they they built like a I don't know if you remember Gordon. They built like a like four story tall arcade cabinet with the Doritos logo on it, and then they hosted concerts on it. It was like a giant stage uh, right outside the Staples Center, uh, and yeah, it was a uh, like probably the it was probably peaky three at least for the years that that I went. Uh, I think like Wiz Khalifa played there one wow. night, uh, and I think Adam and I w- went in and like got VIP access to the Doritos party at some point. But you know, what, E3. what were the, E3? What man. were the hors d'oeuvres? What were the hors d'oeuvres? It was Doritos. Doritos. They literally just handed you bags of nacho cheese Doritos when you walked in. Man, could you imagine seeing the catering bill for I don't know a thousand people? How much was it? Three hundred dollars? Like it's just all bags of chips. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, that was that was I think peak E three for me was the the Doritos experience. Oh uh, man, yeah, but yeah. It's it's definitely weird. Uh, I can't believe that the, you guys have done one hundred and fifty odd episodes or whatever. Uh, One forty five. I've been now. here for like seven years, so it's uh, it's been a while. When I started here, I was a fresh-faced intern, and now I have like white hairs in my in my beard. So. Yeah, actually, yeah. I think I met you when when you were an intern at yeah. E3, the last First console year. generation launch. Yeah, E3 2013. I like came in on a console launch year, and I'm leaving on a console launch year, which is a good poetry, I guess. <laughs> wow, you're now a grizzled veteran of video games, though. You're a yeah. video game journalist. So, but I got out in time. Like I, I hit 30, and I got out. So I'm not like one of the people who's a lifer at least uh, we've got some some lifer games journalists those are, i feel like there's a gap right like you either get out before you're 30 or you're just you're in it and you're like 50 years old and still doing games journalism there's no there's nobody in between those two uh well must... the question from the chat dennis siberian is asking uh, if you're going to work for a, a keyboard manufacturing company i am not i can definitely <laughs> say that that would have been a good uh, lineup, though. Yeah, that would have been fun. <laughs> They're like, "Hey, can you can you make sure these uh, switches are right?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, that's right." <laughs> you're just like Q and A. Oh yeah, just doing that thing we did with that Logitech video, like getting oh, up close. Oh, that was a good video. Oh, Wait, man. Uh, su- summarize, ASM- summarize that video. It's ASMR. Oh, it was literally like thirty seconds, and it was Logitech debuted their like clicky Romer G, 
and we went and just like tapped on the switch for 30 seconds of e3 yeah oh, i think great. john said that was his favorite video i ever did and it was like the <laughs> dumbest spur of the moment video dude did you so oh, it just you just had the mic up there and then you clicked on the clicks yeah i think yeah, i held the lob up it, close to yeah, it and then just click 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 looking at the camera i, I got a arena real close up in there that was that's a good video damn yeah yeah I, I don't want to take this too far off the rails but uh i gotta ask you hayden I don't know what it is because I hated Romer G's when they first came out. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but I my I don't know if I'm getting old, even older, but I actually they're not that bad. My wife has a Romer G keyboard cuz it's just, you know, an extra and I was like, "Well, I I think I kind of like this, you know?" Yeah, I don't know about the original Romer G's. I I like the clicky ones they came out with afterwards cuz they they like that's the thing is they just took their design and remade it for a bunch of different switch types. And once they did that, it was fine. Uh, like the joke that I had with Logitech for a run time, a long time was I would show up to their meetings for keyboards and ask them like, okay, but are you going to make a different switch type? And so I remember Logitech was so excited when they finally had their clicky switch, which again was like not long ago. That was like 2018 or something. So it had been like four years of them only making the one Romer G type. Uh, and I remember just showing up to that meeting and they were like so excited to wheel out like, <laughs> their clicky switch. They had the, they like, had the, they could answer you. It's like, yes, yes, yeah, you've been asked for four year USOB. It was that and this, the wireless 502. Like those were the two things that every time I showed up to a Logitech meeting, it would be like, okay, is it a, is it a wireless 502? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, not this time. And then I remember same thing, the one time that was actually the wireless 502. I got like an email from PR being like, it's happening. Please come to this meeting. <laughs> nice. That, oh, that, yeah. that, that, that one with the, uh, the video, that was the same time we got the, uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> the razor spinners. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> and I, I want to give people some perspective for this because they may not understand, but if you are a product manager or a PR person that works for a company long-term and you deal with the same PR press people, same reviewers that come in and look at your products, they always ask the same damn question, even though they they know nothing has changed. As yep. a lot of journalists will just ask you the question, ask even though they know it's not different, just to irk them. It's just just to drive that dagger in a little further. Did you make it clicky? Did you add this feature that I've asked about for five years? And so when they actually have, when they're actually able to say, "Yes, we have USOB. Stop, stop. Ah, now you can't ask anymore." You know then. That's yeah, why mine they're was so just happy wishful thinking because like Logitech's Logitech had made like four different wireless mice before they converted the 502, which was like their most popular mouse, and it was because it was like a a massive engineering challenge, I think, because uh, that mouse was already really heavy uh, as a wired yeah. model, and so like that was, from what I understand, a very complex build for them to make. Uh, but yeah, I just remember like for me, that was the mouse that I liked using wired and I wasn't going to switch over until they, they changed it. So, uh, yeah, now I've been using that, that wireless 502 for like a year and a half, two years. I don't know. I can't remember when it came out. Time's a blur, especially <laughs> right now. I feel like, yeah. 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 Uh, and I, I wish we, cause I do want to, uh, I want to ask Hayden all about keyboards and my stuff. Cause uh, you know, that's his, but, <laughs> but I do want to get Q and A. Why don't you wait for Q and A? We'll do the Q and A, but let's, let's get to the news. Uh, I just want to bring it up cause it is worthy of bringing up today. Of course, uh, AMD officially unwrapped, although it leaked last week. Um, Threader for Pro. This was a CPU that had been hinted at last 
before November's launch of the Threadripper third generation, um, Steve from Gamers Nexus actually had a leak that says, hey, this, there's going to be a Threadripper. It's going to be uh, eight channels. It's going to have a new socket. Uh, I think it's uh, SRWX8. I can't remember exactly. It's in the story on PCWorld.com right now. It's going to have eight-channel memory, blah, blah, blah. That never turned up in November. And, of course, the reason is AMD was waiting until today to announce Threader Professional. In a nutshell, different socket, so not compatible with previous uh, Threaderpers. The reason, eight channels of memory supports, uh, up to two terabytes, uh, unbuffered, registered, and LR dim, load reduced dims. But 128 PCIe lanes, eight channels of memory, basically the same core count as some of the, uh, you know, consumer, prosumer Threadrippers, but there is a 12 and a 24 core version. And the 12 core, they're saying, AMD is saying, hey, for the first time ever, this is, this is the highest clock speed 12 core where the first four gigahertz, uh, pro CPU, of course, comparing it to Xeon 12 cores. So they're like really tooting their horn there. And of course, 64 cores in one socket. There's just a ton of benchmarks they went through. No surprise. They show you things where they're faster. They're basically faster in everything that's thread heavy. They basically destroy all of the Xeon, Xeon Platinums, including a dual socket Xeons. Um, and they are going to be offering this only only as an OEM option and exclusively with Lenovo in the new ThinkStation P620. I hope I didn't get the bottle number right. Uh, it is basically an air-cooled Threadripper Pro box. You can That's going to be the only place that you can get it currently at all. Eventually, once the exclusive with Lenovo is over, other uh, OEMs, other system integrators, that's more boutique, smaller builders, assemblers, will be able to also build Threadripper Pro boxes. AMD says they don't intend to sell this to you, Joe and Jane nerd, so you can build your own um, uh, Threadripper Pro boxes. But well, it's intended. Clay says, uh, I demand the release of Threadripper Pro on its own so I can say I wish I could afford that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, remember the 64 core Threadripper prosumer version is four grand. Um, AMD didn't announce prices on this because it is an OEM only chip, but you can imagine. It's not going to be less than the uh, 64-core prosumer, so it'll be more expensive. It is essentially, for the most part, an uh, an Epic CPU, true Epic, because you're getting eight channels of DDR, and it is in a single-socket design, but it's branded under Threadripper. AMD said, you know, we really looked at it closely, whether it should, this should be Epic uh, or Threadripper, and they decided Threadripper Pro made just the most sense for them. It has all the professional management and all that stuff that big IT shops like, and, of course... Crazy core count, crazy PCIe four. And I actually big... hadn't had a chance to read this before. I was just doing it while you were explaining it because it's it's like an hour old news, like it's brand new. Uh, the thing that jumps out to me reading this uh, is that Lenovo says that because the seven nanometer Threadripper Pro is so efficient, it can run just air cooling rather than liquid cooling, which is amazing to me, seeing as how those new Ryzen XT chips recommend a minimum 280 millimeter water radiator. I'm just saying. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, you'll see the same thing. I actually, it was interesting in the call with Lenovo. Lenovo was like, Hey, we can do this on air. We're very proud of the fact that we did it completely on air without liquid cooling and said, 
this they said it would make a lot of people happy interestingly um you know obviously because there are a lot of fans of air coolers only not uh, hey, uh, liquid solutions but and maybe they not did, might finally change on that but uh you know you may you may go life. to you may go to air or no, I might change over to liquid finally, uh, just because it's tidier. But like I've got like a I've got one of those gigantic Noctuas in there. Uh, I can't remember the the part number now, but like the NHD whatever, yeah. like the one that's two giant fans side by side, uh, and that thing keeps everything really cool. But it also makes my PC like a thousand pounds, uh, and oh. I'm perpetually worried that it's gonna just like break off when I'm moving it. So. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, if you've got a big old Noctua and you paid for it, it seems like it'd be really hard to recommend going to an all-in-one. Yeah, and the main problem is like the is the main problem with those big Noctuas is the RAM clearance. Like the the RAM clearance is just not there, uh, especially yeah. the model I have. I think they've changed it since then. Um, but also, and it also locks you into just building a full tower almost every time. Those things are are gigantic. Yeah. I, that's my. That's always been my argument for um, liquid coolers. Is you know sometimes you get a no boot situation, and you know reseating memory is often one of those issues, and it's really really difficult with a air cooler. Oftentimes, big ones. Yeah. So that's why I like I like um, CLCs for that reason. Uh, Kyle on YouTube says, uh, "Hayden, you should be honest with yourself. You just want the RAM clearance for RGB." <laughs> yeah, no, he's not wrong. I mean, that's also why I want the why I might switch over to liquid coolers because they all have sweet RGB integration <laughs> now. So, uh, get one of those those Krakens. It's very pretty. As I, I think it, I think I've been spoiled because I've been running. Uh, not to peek behind the curtain too much, but I've been running the uh, PC Gamer benchmarking rig over here for the last couple months, and they've got a liquid cooler in that, and that was the thing that kind of sold me on like ah maybe it's time to move over. Because uh, it is just so quiet, um, and my PC is is quiet, but not as quiet. So I've got a big ass uh, or big old uh, EK Waterblocks Predator 280 millimeter radiator in mine, mm-hmm. and it's funny because I have a G-Sync HDR monitor here uh, that has a fan in it because of just how powerful yeah. it is. And my PC is so quiet; the fan in the monitor drives me crazy when it cuts on because it's the only noise I can hear unless I'm actively <laughs> gaming. Yeah, this wow. is the first. Uh, I'm using the Predator. Uh, it's like the 273K or whatever. It's their like HDR G Sync 32 or actually 27 inch. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that thing is is beautiful, but it's the first monitor I've ever used that had a fan in it that was that loud. Yeah, and it, sucks. it, it like really <laughs> threw me the first time I shut my computer down. And then I just was like, wait, what is making that noise? <laughs> Same it was here. the monitor fan for like 20 <laughs> minutes afterwards, still expelling heat. Uh, so so weird. Uh, Gordon, back to to Threadripper. Uh, Amac three hundred eight is asking, uh, who is this prosumer product for? Is it going to be like for film editors or three D visualization tools? Like- uh, it's this is this is aimed at basically people doing like fluid analysis. If you work in the petroleum industry, engineering, high, very very, you know, if you're basically running an oil rig and you need, you know. Stupidly core dense, you know, parts. It's really aimed at that. Interestingly, they said, "Oh, Threadripper, that's for like gamers and video editors." Uh, you know, like <laughs> it's like what, it's like sixty-four core Threadripper. So it's like you really. That's it's got a. That's always been an extreme part. So, um, it's. I really do feel it overlaps somewhat with Threadripper. 
um, the you know the 3000 series that came out uh, but I think the appeal here is for you know again very much uh, you know professionals doing you know uh, high end engineering analysis where they can use a third count they also uh, you know one of the issues with third upper is it's only four channels this is eight channels so you just get uh, a crap load more memory bandwidth so that always helps if you, so if you need memory bandwidth if you also need to run two terabytes of RAM, although the, the initial Lenovo actually does top out at uh, half a terabyte. So I imagine we're going to see higher higher density uh, versions eventually come out. And I think the feeling is, yeah, if you're if you're probably a, a fairly small shop, you know, 20 seats, 30 seats, a third per current is, is perfect, right? It's awesome. But if you're Chevron and you need to buy a thousand, you know, IT IT departments are generally very conservative. They want to see manageability. They want to see they want to see Lenovo on there. They want to they don't want to see you know a system vendor that you know is very like essentially insignificant um, because they really want to see you know big corporate represent. They want the big contracts. So this is really aimed at that market really. So it it goes and again. You know, their own performance shows that it outperforms two Xeon Platinums, the two 28 cores in two sockets. And they did show some things where, like, hey, if you're doing de-aging using, like, Boris and Mocha and all these other things, it's 70% faster than, you know, what you'd get out of an equivalent Xeon. So, you know, you know, professional, very high-end 3D effects houses may want to buy these. You know, somebody like Disney who... Again, they may want to buy a thousand or two thousand seats. Then you know that that's the appeal here. Whereas the original Threadripper is you know prosumer, more hobbyist, and they did say they saw a huge increases in After Effects too. I'm not sure what the workload is. Um, I'm sure there's some things you can squeeze out of it. For most people, 64 core Threadripper was always overkill, you know. But so if you know you need it, then you know you need this even more because it's eight channels, 128. PCIe four lanes. So, does the cost kind of line up with uh, the Prosumer Threadripper as well, or is it just because it's OEM only? It's you can't even like parse it out. Yeah, I have no idea what it's going to cost. I'm sure it'll cost more, definitely plenty, because that that's the that's the crowd that pays a thousand dollars for a monitor stand, as Adam says, and they don't even think about it, right? So. I'm sure it'll be a lot more expensive. They don't even bother to tell you. It's just like it's just like it's like a CPU price on a laptop. You don't even know what it is because it doesn't matter. You're not building your own laptop. Okay, nice. Are, are you going to get one into test? You know, I probably not. You know, I again, it's it's just so out of our world. That's just you would you would have to you'd probably take two months just to study how to properly measure it to even give you a a, a useful metric. And there's there's sites that serve the home. There's Veronix. There's a lot of sites that sort of serve that market uh probably far more than a consumer oriented website okay all right cool good to know what you're good at yeah nice yeah <laughs> stay in your lane <laughs> yep. uh, i'd love to have one just to kick around but it, it would yeah it'll run know. world of warships and <laughs> run world of warships it'll yeah. run 64 <laughs> separate instances of world of warships <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool. All right. Do we want to move over to some uh, some game stuff, or is there anything else on Threadripper? Nope. Coming out today, and I think starts at forty six hundred for that ThinkStation P six twenty. I'm sure that's a twelve core version, though. Yeah. So, 
so if you wanted to play some video games on that that think station uh what what are the best games in 2020 so far that you could play on it man i don't know i was so i was i was actually just thinking about like core accounts and and pc games uh i was i was googling to refresh myself on how many cores the ps4 and xbox one had uh and how many of the ps5 and xbox series x will have it turns out they're all the same they're all the (laughs) core cpus which i think in 2013 we thought meant wow maybe pc games will finally use more than one core and uh here we are in 2020 and they still pretty much are the same as they were seven years ago not when they're jaguar cores yeah it's uh so yeah we'll see i'm kind of curious uh i I was gonna say maybe we'll see more more games actually use multi-core machines uh but i don't i don't know probably not sure sure yeah i I mean it's frustrating because i feel like uh cores have gotten so cheap especially with amd uh having their resurgence lately it really feels like we should be further along that path at this point but uh yeah apparently not but uh yeah i don't know first first half of 2020 has been pretty pretty dull uh I'm sure, really yeah i'm sure brad and, and adam can attest it's been a, been a weird one uh, yeah i guess from a wider gaming perspective yes but as a tactics fan specifically this was like my christmas between yeah. xcom chimera squad and gears tactics <laughs> well, and, and have you played uh desperados 3 i have not yet no because that's the one that i've been like i'm i'm probably like a, th- a third of the way through it uh and i would definitely recommend that one so that's uh the same people that made shadow tactics um blades of the shogun i did play that um that was uh i think their developers me 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 um <laughs> and they made so they basically made shadow tactics which was like hey let's make a desperados type game uh in 2016 2017 somewhere in there uh which was real-time tactics not turn-based tactics uh and so they made that and then i guess they did such a good job that thq was like no we'll just let you make a new desperados <laughs> uh and so they that came out like three two or three weeks ago uh and so far from what i played is incredible uh it's the first like real-time tactics game that i feel like has a camera that actually works um because usually the problem with real-time tactics games is you're just fighting the camera the entire time Yep. Uh, this one, this one, like the levels were laid out in a way that sort of makes sense and the works with the camera. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Uh, assuming and it's Western themed, right? Yeah, and it's Western themed. likes a Western theme, which is always fun. And they've got a lot of really great like skills for your character in terms of like it's it's like it's like movie Western. So they've mm-hmm. got all the like shooting off of a like a sign. Uh, like a like a billboard and then having it ricochet into somebody, uh, which I really appreciate. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I had well, that wasn't even on my radar. I forgot it was even launching until I saw your article on the best games of. Yeah, that's a, I, so. I feel like that's the thing about 2020 is it's all just been games that came out of nowhere and then yeah. just dropped because all the games that we were actually looking forward to this fall have all or sorry this spring have all been moved to the fall, um, yeah. and so the stuff that was left was like. Like Gears Tactics, which we were, we were sort of mentioning earlier, got announced in December at the Game Awards last year. Uh, that was the first time I think we had ever seen that game uh, and potentially ever heard of it. I can't remember. Um, but that like felt like it kind of dropped out of nowhere. Chimera Squad got announced like a week before it launched. Uh, which <laughs> yeah, was that was just uh, that was just a middle game. finger to Gears Tactics. And it was like yeah, 10 like, bucks. It was... 
How could you go wrong? And, and Mortal Kombat, like I, I said in our article, like we never really talk about expansions being, you know, one of the best games of the year. But uh, and I think I think I should say upfront, Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath, which is the full mouthy title. Uh, that's like a forty dollar expansion, which I think is is a little on the steep side for something that's like a three hour story expansion, two or three hours. Um, but that's like one of my favorite games this year. Uh, that, <laughs> they really took that, that story in like a, a wild direction that I was not expecting. Um, especially like Mortal Kombat 11 already leaned into the like pulp sci-fi aspect with all the time travel. Uh, so mm-hmm. then they, they came out with aftermath and it was just like, Hey, what if we just did that times 10? It's like, <laughs> like timelines on top of timelines uh just like a really fun fun experience um and then i guess doom like that's the that's our big triple a game for the uh, first half that was my, my biggest disappointment so far this year i wow why didn't you like it adam it, it 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 became overly complex with like all the different things that you could pick up and upgrade and like skill trees like it, it just it it got I don't know. It tried to grow and just got lost some of that charm. And the story, like, I don't know, the first one was so, or the Doom 2016. Yeah, reboot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was so, like, it, it, it took itself serious, but also, like, just had so much fun with it, uh, which is, like, how dumb and over the top the, the character acted. But, like, I don't know, it, it just had this weird tongue-in-cheek that I think really played well, where the second one just did not land for me in terms of tone. Like, it just felt like I don't know. It, it just lost it. I, it didn't. It didn't grab me. I I never even finished it. I, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because wow. we're opposites on that one. Uh, like I I think we scored the original reboot like a seven, or I scored the original reboot a seven because I thought that the back half of that game was really tedious. Uh, because it was like the back half of that game, the back half of doom 2016, I remember just being like one combat arena after another at some point, like there was one mission in particular that I think of when I referenced doom 2016, that was literally just like three big combat arenas where you would do like, you would press a button at the end of each one. And it was just like, none of the secrets were in there. Like there were maybe like two secrets in that whole mission. Um, and I really like burned out on that game by the end and eternal. I, I like, loved that game um i think the things that like like i understand the people that were turned off by it but i really like the way they designed enemies to be like a bunch of counters basically so like oh you want to like shoot this guy's tail off and you want to blow this guy's arms off uh because i felt like it made me play it in a like it, it made me like prioritize different enemies uh based on like where they showed up in the in the arena every time uh like the towards the end you get a i can't remember the name of him it's like the anti christ or whatever i don't know but he like summons other enemies into the arena and that became like a really fun challenge because you want to take him out first because if you don't he just like keeps summoning new guys in uh and so like that stuff became really interesting to me in a way that i didn't feel like the original had that longevity because it was just like you just headshot everything um but yeah it definitely was a i think a different game than than the 2016 doom yeah I it's think funny it was just more it was more where I, the original or 2016 i uh i don't know like it, it was also it was mindless just fun quick action 
where the next, you know, the, the eternal, like I, I had to think more, I did strategize more. And I was just like, eh, I just want, I just want to feel tough and just blow through stuff. That's, I mean, it's kind of like call of duty. It's like, it's never that tactical. It's just fun to just yeah. go through and, and shoot stuff. And, you know, it, it may, maybe I'll play it again, like in a different mindset, but yeah, I was just, I was just hoping for that, that quick power fantasy. And, and it wasn't that. Yeah, definitely. was not that. I actually uh, never beat the 2016 version. One, because I play like five hours of endless amounts of games and never finish them. <laughs> but two, because of exactly what Hayden was saying, like towards the back half, it like draws out and just as more of the same is how I felt. It was the same with uh, Alien Isolation. Alien mm. Isolation is one of my favorite games. I never actually beat it because like it just got too stretched out at the end. It was the same with Doom 16. Hearing you talk about the way you have to prioritize different enemies in Doom Eternal actually makes me much more intrigued in the game and want to go pick it up now. And I regret that the steam sale finished three or four days ago. Yeah. Doom, uh, I, I felt like doom 2016 was like, it was funny because that game is half the length of eternal, but I felt like mm-hmm. it stretched on twice as long uh, in my yeah. memory. Uh, and yeah, like I, I just, I'm not, I don't think eternal is like it, the game that everybody expected, which I think everybody expected just more of 2016 doom. And if you play it that way, you are going to die. Um, but I thought it was nice. Like they, they keep changing up the environments and they keep adding, like, I think they're still adding new enemies into that game in like the last two or three chapters. Like they still have more variants of enemies and stuff like that to add in. Um, which to me kept it a lot more fresh. Uh, and yeah, ended up being like a a very fun experience for me. I would not say it's my favorite game of the year for sure, but I, as far as our very paltry triple a release schedule goes this year, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, and yeah, we, I mean, that's a, I, the other one is Half-Life, uh, which I think we talked about on here. I think that's the last time I was on here, um, mm-hmm. was right around the launch of Half-Life. Uh, it's still good. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it, uh, was the sea change that people who are fans of VR hoped maybe, but, uh, I think Valve made a game that shows where VR could go, uh, mm-hmm. And we'll see whether that does anything long-term. I don't think many developers have the kind of money to spend on VR that Valve does, which maybe is part of the problem. But um, when I start to hear, like, uh, it was like there were rumors coming out two weeks ago or so about Rockstar making a VR game. um, Mm -hmm. And that makes me feel like maybe VR has turned the corner. uh, To me, that was the big part of Half-Life Alex. Is showing that yeah, you can have like an actual. I haven't played it. I'm just talking about in theory. Yeah, uh, an actual AAA shooting experience. It doesn't have to be short and gorgeous. It doesn't have to be you know long and janky. It can be both long and gorgeous and an actual AAA experience, which I don't think we've seen too much of in the VR space yet. And that was what Alex did, I think. Yeah, we've done. I mean, we've seen like none of it. Uh, I would say yeah. like. The, the games that have been really good have not been the same length generally yeah. and have not added as many concepts in, um, which yeah. is not to say they're not great VR games. Um, yeah. Like I would say Lone Echo, which is, is Ready at Dawn, who obviously is like a big budget uh, developer now owned by Oculus. Uh, I would say that they are putting out fantastic VR stuff. I would say that like Asgard's Wrath, which came out in December, also mm-hmm. a very good VR experience that's on that scale. Uh, but I don't think anything 
really the size of Half-Life and definitely yeah. not with the notoriety of Half-Life had released before then. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I'll be very interested to see whether that changes the landscape moving forward. There's a good time for it to come out too, because uh, virtually every VR headset maker has been out of stock forever at this point. So yeah. they're selling them as fast as they can make them. So it's a good time for it to come out. Yeah, I just checked like a few, like two weeks ago, and the Quest, I think, was still sold out, which is just mm-hmm. amazing. Like, that's a, we're talking over a year after a release now, and they're still having supply constraints, no um, which is, is, I think, what I hoped VR would launch like in 2016. And then it just kind of like had a big mm-hmm. wave at the start and then spluttered. Uh, and so it's it's really cool to see people latch on the quest, especially, um, but also like the index is sold out perpetually, which is in some ways even more amazing because that's a thousand dollar kit. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'll be curious, Gordon, I'm, I'm bringing that Vive Pro to you. So oh, okay, uh, I'll, be, cool. I'll be curious whether you play Half-Life. I haven't tried it yet. You know, actually, we're, we've been waiting to get a Valve Index forever. So I'm actually, I'm very excited to try it. But I, I have to ask you, even though I'm excited for it, is VR done, man? Is it over? Because I mean, it, it has not lived up to the hype. It's been five years since it's been four years of it. four I, years yeah sure, i mean i would say the opposite i would say i mean we wrote an article about it earlier this year like i would say this was vr's big year in a way that like it almost feels like a it almost feels like last year was like a relaunch uh mm-hmm. which is is kind of a cop-out um because obviously like we've had headsets since 2016 but i think between quest and and index and even the rift s to some extent um, just being like the ease of setup of Rift S um, compared to the original Rift and also the price of the Rift S and Quest being both $400. Uh, I feel like that finally like was the tipping point um, and particularly Quest. Like Quest is a standalone headset, right? So there's no, like it opens the audience beyond people who own a high-end gaming PC, which was always one of the constraints with the original lineup. Um, and like the quest software lineup has been pretty good and I think is growing. I, I think it's been interesting because there was a, that first three years, there was a narrative about like, Oh, well you can't make money in VR. Um, and I think quest has finally sold so many units that people are starting to realize like, Oh no, you can make money in, in VR. Uh, it's still difficult. There's still like a lot of garbage on that store. Um, but definitely compared to that original Rift and Vive, uh, I think that it's very strong. And also, if you're getting into VR in 2020, you've got four years of software to catch up on, which I think makes it uh, a lot easier to to talk about. Um, yep. I feel like it kind of has followed the console model. Like, I didn't buy a... Because I'm a PC person, I didn't buy a PlayStation 4 until 20. 17 or 2018 when whenever god of war came out um that was when i bought a a ps4 finally because there weren't enough games for me to justify buying a 400 system to play you know two or three games on uh and so i finally bought my ps4 when it had you know seven eight nine games that i that i was like oh these are must plays and i should catch up on them uh, and I think VR has followed a similar trajectory where it launched and everybody expected it to like out of the gate, sell millions of units and, and change the world. 
but like there wasn't software there to make that happen. Uh, and there wasn't really a compelling user experience to make that happen. And I think Quest has finally, finally changed that narrative. Like there's a, uh, there are people that really want to play VR and there are a lot of experiences worth having in, in VR now. For uh, me, there's but, a lot of parallels to real-time ray tracing. Personally, okay, yeah. like when real-time ray tracing came out, uh, people were like, oh man, it's NVIDIA especially, uh, or like, this is going to be amazing. This is revolutionary, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's always that first gen product when you're, you know, launching something so radical and new like this. And VR was very much the same thing. Everyone got hyped because they could see the potential, but the first gen product always has kinks to work out, always has, mm. you know, rough edges to sand off. It was the same deal with real time ray tracing. The first iteration of DLSS made games blurry, didn't look great. You know, we're still, you know, every time a game comes out with ray tracing now, we're like, oh, finally another game with ray tracing. But now that's been a couple years, we're very all likelihood going to see a second generation of RTX cards soon. We're seeing it in all the consoles. We're seeing AMD pick it up. We do have that backlog of games to uh, fall back on. It's a lot more enticing now than it was at launch. And I think that it's a lot of parallels with VR there. Yeah, and it's starting to look great. Uh, I mean, not to completely pivot off of VR, but I so I just finished that Watch Dogs uh preview last week which uh i was saying in the pre-show we should talk about because we did it over parsec um Mm -hmm. but to the point of ray tracing uh it was amazing playing that game i mean we were playing remote so they had probably a 28 ti in the machines they were running that on i would assume um and it was amazing (laughs) they had ray tracing turned on and i didn't notice for a long time because like we're not messing around with the options menu during those demos mm-hmm. but i was like running around and suddenly realized like oh wait i can see reflections on like everything like there's like <laughs> shiny floors and and you know billboards with like fake glass in front of them and like it reminded me of the first time i played control with the ray tracing and you suddenly realize like oh i'm in a glass office building and there's just reflections on every single surface in here uh, and how amazing that seemed, except that this was, you know, controls like a very tight and tiny environment, all things yep. considered. This was like a full, I mean, Watch Dogs is a full open world game with ray tracing. Uh, and it was, I mean, it looked incredible. Like I, I didn't dwell on it much in our, in our preview because uh, like none of that footage looks amazing when you actually mm-hmm. pull it. Uh, but the, the, the amount of reflections, like they just have, you know, puddles on the ground that are reflecting everything. And, and obviously, uh, London is on the water. And so there's, <laughs> there's tons of reflections there. Uh, it was and thought a about that. pretty amazing demo that I don't think has been highlighted enough. Like I didn't, I didn't see Ubisoft like talking up ray tracing support in the, <laughs> in the demo or anything. And maybe that's like, you know, NVIDIA's big push come October or whatever that game launches. Maybe that's yep. an NVIDIA thing. Like, oh no, look at how good ray tracing is. Um, but it definitely just like hammers home that we're just on the cusp of this becoming a thing. Uh, like yep. now it's going to be that. Then it's going to be Cyberpunk the month after. And Exactly. Like it's just going to be very, um, like I think it's going to be an amazing fall for, for RTX in a way that the last year and a half or whatever has not been the last year and a half. I feel like it's been, you know, 
here's control and that's like a bright spot and here's metro and that's kind of a bright spot well and i, w- I was just watching uh digital foundry came out with a video this morning about dlss inside of um death stranding uh mm-hmm. to to help with like upscaling stuff and they were yep, like if you can run actually... the, yeah they were like if you can run dlss you should use it uh yeah like over running native 4k which i thought was pretty interesting yeah, you absolutely should, because uh, that game... So I'm, I'm running a 2080 Ti here, and even the 2080 Ti at, at native 4K really struggles on that game. Uh, like I'm, t- I'm talking like 35 frames per second uh, in, in a lot of places. So, so console uh, quality. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when they're talking about uh, that game is built for 60 frames per second, you should uh, run DLSS if you can. But yeah, I think that we're on the cusp of... A big year for RTX. I think we're on the cusp of a big a big year for for VR still. Uh, like I think it has been a big year and will continue to be a big year. Um, I'm like very curious to see uh, what comes out of this fall. Whether we start talking about new headsets because um, I mean we're coming up on the two year mark next year, which last time was when we started hearing about new headsets. So uh, yep. it'll definitely. It could be very interesting here in, in the next six to 12 months. Um, I'm curious. I won't be surprised if it gets pushed back a little bit further, just simply because they are selling them as fast as they can make them. So. Yeah, like it seems like, but I've I've also heard people start talking about like a better Quest or a more mm-hmm. high-end Quest because uh, Quest has like a, a 72 hertz screen, which is, yep. is shy of the 90 that they typically sell at. Yep. Uh, and also the battery life could, could use a, a juice maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, those are like small problems uh, compared to the potential of that machine. So, well, would, before before we get yeah, down t- too far down the uh, upcoming uh, stuff, let's 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 keep keep looking at, at games so far. Uh, what about yeah, Ori? We don't have much left. I mean, I would say Did Kentucky you play Ori Zero. In the Wisp? Oh yeah, Ori. Yeah, talk about that if you if you would no. like Adam. I, I didn't it know if, if you were into it. I mean, Elena played a, a lot of it, but it, it wasn't really my. Yeah, I've, I, I played it. There's and some I people it. in the chat talking about it. It it kind of came and went for me. Uh, like I I thought it was more of the first one, um, and to me a little too similar to the first one in terms of like, especially the story. I felt it was like beat for beat the same as the first one in a lot of ways. Um, I would say the the two games that are still on the list that we haven't talked about are, are Kentucky Route Zero, uh, which, which I still need to play. Yeah, which I would recommend everybody play. Uh, I've been calling that a game of the generation, kind of half jokingly, uh, but like to to give some personal perspective, like the first chapter of Kentucky Route Zero came out before I arrived at PC World, and uh, the last wow. chapter came out in January. And so, that's the reason I haven't played it yet because back then, you know, the the episodic things were all the rage with all the telltale games yeah. and stuff and i played walking dead's first season i played uh the wolf game wolf among us and i love them but then uh i started getting into the later ones in those kinds of series and you know you get to play a small slice of the game and then the next one's delayed and then delayed again and then it finally comes out and the next one comes out it's supposed to come out and gets delayed so I heard so many good things about Kentucky Route Zero. I didn't want to go through that frustration. So I'm like, I'll just play it when it's done. I didn't expect it to take seven or eight years. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like naively did the same thing. Like, I just remember thinking like, oh, yeah, everybody seems to love this. I'll just play it when the last chapter is out. And then, yeah, it was like two years between some of those chapters. And I 
I'm I'm glad I waited. Like I I think it's more impactful playing it all at once. Like I mm-hmm. I would just would not remember most of the the plot points if I played it over the course of seven years. Um, but like I think that game is fantastic. I think that all of the interstitials they did are fantastic. Um, they have like in between the main chapters, they have like smaller experiences that are more experimental. Uh, I think those are all fantastic. I think that that game will probably go down among critics at least as like the game that in like that i'm half joking when i say it's the game of this generation but i think it's also the game of this generation in terms of how it affected so many other developers um it's very clear and i've written about this on the site it's very clear the lines between like um disco elysium last year and Kentucky Route Zero. Like, you can draw just, like, a big red line between those two and say, like, oh, the people that made Disco Elysium played Kentucky Route Zero and thought, oh, my God, games can be like this and decided to make a game in that fashion. Um, and uh, I, I've, I've put some others on our list that were similar, like Where the Water Tastes Like Wine and uh, even, like, games like Celeste. It's just very clear the ripple effect of Kentucky Route Zero has been bigger than maybe anything except like Ubisoft Assassin's Creed formula and, and the Witcher three. Like those are the three games that I think have, have really changed the landscape in the last decade. Um, And yeah, I would recommend everybody play it. Uh, And then on the other end of the the spectrum is monster train, which uh, is just a dumb card game and the art is terrible. But I've been playing it until like three in the morning every night lately, so it deserves a mention. So wait, I'm confused. I, I gotta ask: is that is that actually like a is it a train thing? Because when you know my kids were little, they like trains. Thomas a tank engine. Is that like trains or what? Uh, it's a train it? steaming through hell, Gordon. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. It, it, the, <laughs> so, so not like Thomas the, the tank engine. Not Thomas. No. Tank. The theming is terrible. Uh, like it's just some. It looks like some generic. I don't. I don't want to use this too pejoratively, but it's like it's a thing, right? Uh, it looks like mobile game art. Like it's just like that ultra smooth, very generic typefaces, all of that. Um, I like really don't love the theming of it, but the the card part is amazing. Um, it's just like a. It's a card battler, but it's got a single-player mode, which is how I typically like playing card battlers. Like, I loved Gwent for that reason, um, because it was a story-based game that just happened to be card-based. This is a run-based game. It doesn't really have a story. The card mechanics are super satisfying. You have layers of your train, and you play cards on each separate layer. Uh, And then the enemies come in at the bottom and then move their way up to the top. And at the very top of your train is... Um, your pyre, which is basically like your overall health for the run. And if that goes to zero, you lose. Um, And what I like about single player card games is it allows you to make just like super broken combinations because the developers are just like, like if you're, if you're making a multiplayer card game, you have to make sure that it's balanced really well, right? Like you have to tightly control it so that nobody really has a huge advantage over anybody else. But if it's a single player card game, you can really just like get away with anything. Uh, and so that game tends to be all about finding like the most broken deck build that you possibly can and then just exploiting it until you win. Uh, and so, yeah, it is incredibly addictive. And I've, as I said, been playing it until like three in the morning every night. 
I, I was joking with a friend. I didn't know that my like retirement from journalism would come hand in hand with like playing card games. Uh, <laughs> but it, it feels very apropos. So it's been I don't know, Hayden. I, I'm thinking like you know, as a World of Warship player, that's yeah. that's that's a little low speed for me. So I, I don't think I'm. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna do card games. Or definitely feels like what what PC gaming is on the map to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've got my uh, 2080 Ti just pumping out the best card yeah. effects possible. So, oh, wait, wait. I want to bring this up, though, Hayden, since you're talking about card games. I have yeah. had this idea for probably 12 years. It's a card game that's based on PC building. Think about this now. You get a card... <laughs> You know, you have a you have, you come to an agreement of of specs and and class and how much power, and then you sort of like you you do a battle with other people based on the cards that you have for your 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 virtual you know, and it would have the whole history of of all different hardware for PC gaming, but you know, you Sounds get certain like points a- and you're like, oh, I beat your. I beat your 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 1080 Ti with my whatever, but whatever, blah blah blah. No, it sounds like a game for your tw- one person. It sounds like a solitaire game for for Gordon. <laughs> yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? I beat your 2080 with my 1080 Ti. That's what you were saying, right? <laughs> Somebody in the chat says that uh, you draw a 2080 Ti, but you only have a 400 watt power supply. Yes, <laughs> so you're screwed. <laughs> or and you're playing with a 1080p screen. So it's like what? <laughs> Uh, 60 hertz. Well, uh, back to back to the series. Monster Train does sound interesting. I, uh, I know yeah, I've, I I've heard a lot of it, people. Adam. I, think, I never I think played would... Slay the Spire, though. Uh, yeah, I, 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 do I, I mean, that's the thing. is you, They're all kind of interchangeable. Like, there's uh, Slay the Spire and, um, oh, what is the Steam World Quest or whatever I think is there. I, I almost picked that one up because I, I love the Steam World uh, series. Yeah, I think SteamWorld Quest is the card-based one. That one's mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, but like Monster Train is the one that's really hooked me. Uh, <laughs> okay. I would I would say Gwent is also really good if you didn't play that. Um, that's a really fun way to get into it because it's a The Witcher three uh, setting and story and be like a pretty good card game. <laughs> um, but Monster Train is just really. I, I didn't think I was gonna play much of it. I played like one one run and kind of bounced off of it at first, uh, and then. A friend convinced me to to play some more, and now I think I've played more than him. Like I'm up to I'm up to like 15 hours in this in this card game. Uh, <laughs> most of it in the past week. So nice. It's, well, uh, yeah, it's hooked you, me. You alluded to another another big game that you've been playing this week or this uh, this year. What's the other one? What else the last have I been one? playing? I don't know. I thought I thought you said, oh, I've, I've got I've got two more. No, it was just that and Kentucky Route Zero. Oh, and then oh, yeah. We move on to the the upcoming, which, as I said, I think no, is no, no, uh-uh. you, you've you've missed you've missed two big games that I've been playing this year. Oh wow! All right, what have you been playing? <laughs> well, Are they PC uh, games. Yeah, uh, Call of Duty Warzone technically dropped this year. I you True. know Warzone has been especially during this uh, um, this you know everybody being at home. Like I've used Warzone as as a chance to hang out. I mean. I, there's there's uh, Willis and Luis and stuff. Uh, every weekend we've been trying to hop on Warzone and play. On. It's not like I'm playing a ton of it, but it, it's been used as the the game that I personally that I'm like, hey, I just want to hang out with friends and and shoot some stuff. So Warzone, I I, I put more time into it than I thought I did, mostly because the, of the uh, situation. I've heard the 200 person mode is a little chaotic. Uh, yeah, it's funny. We mostly play Plunder 
which is like the yeah you you can respawn in one? but yeah you 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 get money because it's i don't know I, I i like being able to respawn in rather than mm-hmm. having to go through the whole gulag thing but yeah that's that's separate uh and then the other one huge one they're, they're talking about in the chat even uh uh halo master chief collection man yeah, yeah that was a we... <laughs> that was our joke at the beginning of our uh the beginning of the the are like best games of 2020. Yeah, well, I made a joke about like best game of 2020 being Halo 2. Well, uh, and, and and actually, I mean, uh, so uh, Willis uh, has never played a Halo game, so we've been we've been going through and playing in co-op. Me, Willis, Elena, and sometimes Luis, and we need to get Brad in there too on the the multiplayer stuff. But yeah, going through and like replaying all of them as they come out, which Halo 3 just came out today, so we're gonna stream yep. it tomorrow. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, like. It's actually been really fun to go back through all the Halo games, uh, and I'm, I'm yeah, waiting for I Gordon find, to say um, something. But I think Halo <laughs> technically, two is the first one. out on PC. Yeah, I think Halo Two is the one that I I like actually would get back into. Uh, like I played when that came out, I played for like two solid weeks some Halo Two multiplayer, uh, and realized that like I still know all those maps like the back of my hand, uh, which I think is. Uh, funny and also kind of scary given it's been like 15 years since I've played Halo 2 at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like it, it feels very good to be back on like Lockout and Ascension and all those maps. Uh, I don't like the the new, like the Halo 2 anniversary versions of those maps. I think they're all atrocious looking, but I really love the originals uh, and the original mechanics because they also changed the mechanics to be like halo 4 or something when they did that halo 2 anniversary and yeah. it just is terrible um but yeah halo 2 classic is fantastic uh i think that that game still holds up pretty well uh and and that to me is the one that i can go back to the easiest because that was the first one where they went to only recharging health because um, i went back and tried to play the original halo and you can just like really get screwed by some of the checkpoints. Uh, yep. Like you can end up in a situation where you have like ten health, and uh, you're stuck with no 10 health, health kits around, and the <laughs> flood is coming in, and it can like really <laughs> screw you in a way that was just not very fun to to replay after all this time. So I think yeah. with Halo Three coming out, they're making a big deal about it. You know, twelve years later on the PC, you can finally finish the fight. Makes me realize that game came out twelve years ago. Yeah, and it makes actually, me do it mental like math. That, actually, it does feel like longer than that. And it makes me do even... mental math about how old I am, and I'm like, wow, I suddenly feel way older than I did yesterday because this only came out 12 years ago. Yeah, I think it was 13. <laughs> yeah, it was 2007. So, wow, almost 13 years ago. Because that yeah. was that was before I was in high school, man. If you want to feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Halo Three was the the most I put into Halo multiplayer. So personally, I'm I'm excited for the Halo Three multiplayer. Yeah, uh, see, I already moved on. That was a it was it's funny because everybody's got their their Halo right, and Halo mm-hmm. Two was mine. Like that was early yeah, days here. of Xbox Live, and I like was on somebody's. I was I borrowed a friend's account to play Halo Two, uh, and I would play Halo Two like every night for three or four hours because those were the days when like. You know, as I said, I was in high school, so those were the days where like you would get one video game every like six months, and you had to make it last. And uh, yeah, Halo became my like forever game. Like I just played that for for years and years and years until probably Halo Three came out. But then by the time when Halo Three came out, Modern Warfare came out like a month later or something. And I think that I just converted over to Call of Duty and kind of never went yeah. back to to Halo multiplayer. Well, you didn't get the little to, cat helmet. 
No, I wish. We got somebody. My brother still has his. My brother actually has the Master Chief tattoo with a yeah. sniper rifle and a shotgun, like a skull and bones. I used to play so much Xbox that one year on Christmas, you remember they used to do the Xbox Gamer Spotlights on the old X360 Blade? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was the Xbox Gamer Spotlight uh, like a year or two after Halo came out, like around the Gears of War era. Wow. Uh, on a Christmas, and it actually crashed my console because I got so many messages talking <laughs> wow, just random people. Awesome. So <laughs> I... I I just am realizing something. So I know everybody thinks I'm just a crank because I just don't like Halo. I've never liked it. I just. But you don't like it because it killed the PC or wanted to kill the PC. Well, it, they, it was part of the when Microsoft was trying to kill PC gaming. Let's be honest. But I think what I'm realizing is there is a certain age to it too because you folks had game consoles when it came yeah. out. I also had a PC. Don't get me wrong. Well, but at the time. For and if you were legitimately a PC gamer, if you've been one at the time, it was like there was nothing new at all. There was nothing impressive. There was nothing groundbreaking at all about Halo. We had you had tribes, you had Battlefield, you had 1940. There were just so many fantastic PC gaming multiplayer server based experiences with huge maps, with vehicle combat that it just felt like this is just such a, a limited like a toy game compared to what was available on the PC at the time. So I, I, but I'm now realizing the reason why y'all like it. I'm going to say y'all because is because, you know, you were 14 years old. I mean, you weren't going to go out and get a PC. I was much older than that. PC was mine also, or the, the console was mine. Like I, I bought that Xbox. That was my like summer job. Uh, when I was 14, I remember like, finally being able to afford a console uh and that was like a a big deal whereas like the the computer was like the family's computer and like you know i had i I grew up with a bunch of siblings so like anybody could be using the computer at any moment whereas like the console was like i had my tv and my my xbox um and i think that like really because i had played i had played unreal tournament and uh quake and a bunch of other stuff growing up i do i played battlefield for a while but like that was a I don't know. I think Halo, like that was my thing. Like I could play that whenever I wanted. And I think Xbox Live at the time felt very new and novel. Like a lot of my yeah. friends had Xboxes as well. Um, and so we could play together and, and chat and all of that. Uh, I think that that ended up being like a big part of it. But yeah, I think a lot of it is like when you're a kid, like I think PC gaming now is very accessible uh, yeah. I think I think PC gaming now you could get a decent PC for like six hundred dollars and and yeah. run a lot of games that are very popular right now. Like you could, I think that's why Fortnite is so popular, is in part because you, you can run phone. it on basically anything. Like I could I could run that on a on a phone. I could run it on a crappy laptop. I mean, like same with Minecraft. Yeah, exactly. Like the the games that are really big are games that you can just run on the the most garbage hardware. And I think the difference is like at that time the games that were big were games that were like, that was the heyday of the arena shooter and you needed a great machine to run those games. And I think we still have games like that. Like Battlefield is still that sort of game. It still looks fantastic and you still need a pretty good PC to run Battlefield at a decent frame rate. Um, But at the time it was very much like you had to have a nice PC to really play Battlefield the way it was intended and to play Unreal Tournament the way it was intended. Uh, whereas, like, the Xbox, I could just, you know, that was a 
$300. And I think I bought it so deep into the console cycle that that probably cost me like 200 bucks. Uh, I, uh, see, Gordon had yeah. the money for it. You know, he, he <laughs> had the money for high end PC. He was, one so. of those, he was a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. I always, that was my thing. I always had a PC and a console. I still do. I have a switch. Uh, but back then, I was the only one among my friends who could afford to have a, a gaming PC. And I was yeah. not making much money. It took some sacrifices. So I had the Xbox to be able to play with my friends from around. And at the time, you still had to pay for long-distance phone calls. And it was actually significantly cheaper for me and my brother, who was in the Marines, to get Xboxes and Xbox Live and just chat that way than it was to actually call each other. So that's what it was. It was just all cost back then. So, Yeah. Yeah. I think no, those no. barriers are a lot lower now. Sorry, Gordon. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> no, it's, it's fair because, I mean, the PC back then was, an, you know, it was a very high-end platform. It was always expensive to run. Um, it was also a superior gaming experience, clearly, but it costs a lot more. So, But I'm, I just – I never really factored in the fact that, you know, people were – you know, they had – they had applesauce after mom gave them the applesauce. Then they like got on their console, and that's why Halo's so big. So I'm, you know, that's <laughs> wow. I never Man. put that together. We're I all never just eating applesauce in Gordon's mind. I mean, Gordon, never... I would be curious, like, if you went back now. So like the thing that I'm enjoying now, because I find it very hard to play shooters on a console at this point. Uh, yep. Like I, I've been PC pretty much only for almost a decade now. And like I have the PS4 hooked up to play the like six games that I own on PS4. And other than that, I'm like only on PC at this point. And so I find it very hard to go back and like I was playing Last of Us and having a really hard time lining up shots uh, on a controller. It didn't just auto aim for you? Uh, it does if you like pull it. But the way that most people do auto aim is like when you pull the trigger, it auto aims, but it's also not a headshot. So then you have to like flick that stick up. Especially no, Hayden, it's, always, have, like, it's always a headshot. It just auto aims. You don't even have to touch the controller. It just auto aims, headshot, you're done. In, uh, I was making in Last headshots. of Us, when you have like no uh, no ammo, it becomes very uh, oh. you really have to line up those headshots over and over. But anyways, like it's is neat to me to play Halo on PC because those games are not designed for PC; they were designed for consoles where you had auto aim, but it was kind of harder to to shoot. And I found the same thing when they when they moved Gears over to PC with Gears Four. Like that game is trivial on PC in a lot of ways because a lot of the damage is just, hey, if you can line up headshots, you're okay. Uh, and it so felt it was, totally it, different because the yeah. whole thing was being a big lumbering guy. You could feel it hit and stuff like yep. that. And when you play on a mouse and keyboard, you don't get any of it. And you just boom, headshot, boom, It headshot. was funny. I was playing like the – um, so I was playing Halo 2's campaign and I got to the – I don't know if you remember the Sniper Alley in Zanzibar, which is like the one of the early maps – Yep. And there's a there's a an area that's just full of enemies sniping you, and they're like one hit headshot kills uh, on you, and then one hit headshot kills in reverse. And I remember like really struggling with this this section as a kid uh, on the harder difficulties because like there's like five enemies, and you have to hit them all within like ten seconds of peeking your head out, or else you're gonna die. And I was playing on PC, and like just bam, 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 bam. <laughs> And it's just, it feels like a totally different game uh, in a in a way that I wasn't expecting uh, and has made it a lot more interesting to go back and, and play those games as, as an adult and as somebody who primarily plays on PC. Uh, it's It's been like a fun nostalgia trip, but also just a like, wow, this game is a lot easier when you can actually aim, it turns <laughs> out. Uh, 
turns out all those years the the mouse and keyboard crowd was right so uh yeah <laughs> the thing uh, is the the roots of destiny 2 is comes from bungie and like destiny 2 feels awesome even on a mouse and keyboard and yep. the reason halo is so famous is because even though it's much easier now using a mouse and keyboard the same basic kind of feel that that was the roots of that, and it's it's a very different feeling game than something like Battlefield or Call of Duty. Yeah, like the the gun feel and stuff in in Halo is still really good. Like yeah. I think a lot of the guns in that game are still really creative, mm-hmm. uh, like more creative than Halo really gets credit for these days, um, because mm-hmm. a lot of it is just like now it's amalgamated into the culture, uh, and everybody tried to copy Halo and did copy Halo, uh, but I think for like 2001, 2004, even 2007 when Halo 3 came out, like those games did a lot of very forward-thinking things on console uh, that, yes, Gordon had already been done on PC, but, you know. <laughs> just, I just, I it's just already been done on PC. Why did anybody do anything on console? <laughs> no, like, but nobody I mean... does anything on console. We, we, sh- we should all just give up our lives because we, we have consoles in our house right now. No, no, I, I just, it's, you know, again, the, it's all the perspective. If you come from the perspective, the original Battlefield 1941, <laughs> it was shooter and you would drive a battleship around and fire shore bombardments to wipe out like half the other team, right? I mean, it was, to go from that to such a limited sort of, I mean, I, I don't mean to be disparaging, but like a toy no, you do. game. <laughs> It was just hard to understand why people were so excited for something like that. Whereas, like, I mean, the sprawl of the original Battlefield was insane, right? And there were other games very similar to it. Like, in the original Tribes, the maps were huge, and you would just be skiing forever to get to... And and it was just like, I couldn't understand it. I mean, that's why, but I realized because we'd, we'd done there. We had already done it, so... Well, you know, I, I, we we need to move on because we're, we're getting a little long in the tooth. I will say... Oh. I don't think you tried to understand it, you know, so I, I'm just going to put that out there. But anyway, uh, two, 2020, you know, also been uh, I've been catching up on backlog. The, the last game I want to bring up, and I, I'm not sure if, uh, Hayden, you played any of it, uh, Command & Conquer, the, the remaster. Yeah, I played some of it. Oh, okay. uh, that game is uh, pretty long in the tooth, but it's like a fun nostalgia. Yeah. Like, like firing it back up, like, it was just, you know, I haven't really touched it after we did the stream of it, but, like, uh, just firing it up, just hearing the music and seeing the, the graphical updates and just, like, like oh, man, it was so fun to just go back and, like, reminisce, you know, and just, like, get that feeling. Even though I, I wasn't, like, the hugest uh, Command & Conquer fan at the time, but it was still enough to be, like, damn, this is an awesome remaster, <laughs> and it's it's great to have that, that you know, as a, a available as an option now. Yeah, I really like the um the like DOS inst- the, like fake the fake DOS installation uh, at the beginning. That was pretty. Uh, good. I think that that was probably my favorite part of the. Gordon, if you get a chance, you should look it up. They basically recreated like Command and Conquer famously had like in universe installation programs um, uh, that basically like got you into the game before you were actually in the game in a way. Uh, and they recreated those for the remaster, just upscaled. And it's very fun because they run through all of the old options from like 1995 or whatever. So it'll be yep. like they start running through like the sound card options and stuff. Uh, and then they just cross them all out and go like HD sound <laughs> or, or whatever. Uh, it's, it's a very fun nod to, you know, that era of PC gaming. Yeah. Um, yeah. I played it for a long time too. So. 
I think it's kind of sucky, but it's also kind of cool uh, that we're seeing so many remasters now because people have been talking about it in films for 20 years at this point. Oh, why are they redoing that? What do they mean they're redoing Akira? Stuff like that. But I think it shows a sort of maturity as the platform and the medium. And so I think it's kind of cool that we're starting to get things like this out now. That's but totally they different are, from what y'all were saying, but just a thought that popped in my head. But they are selling them, right? The remasters are not free. No, they're like, they're like 20 bucks though. It's not super yeah. expensive. Uh, I think that, yeah, like I am, I'm very excited about them remaking games from the nineties. I am less excited about remasters of games from like five years ago, which I, yeah. I think we're about to get like another big spade of those on yeah. the, with new consoles coming out. We're going to get the, uh, like Assassin's Creed syndicate remaster and all of that. <laughs> and that's the stuff that I find really silly, especially coming, you know, being on PC, where we already have the version yep. that they're just going to put out on the new consoles. Yeah. You know, but I, I could see, I could see legitimately paying for a remaster of say a five-year-old game and say, Hey, you know what? You know, because they are very similar to the revision for artists who make these games. You know, we always wanted to do reflections or lighting, global illumination, you know, ray tracing, you know, so they do a DXR version and they say, you know what? Five years ago, not everybody had eight core 16 thread CPUs. We're actually going to implement physics that we always wanted to do where you blow something up and it blows up. It doesn't just kind of, you know, deform a little bit and, you know, with a new model. And, and I would like, yeah, I would actually pay for a remaster of some of those games if it just like, if you, they actually did the work to take advantage of today's current hardware i mean that's... yeah i feel like that's the problem though is they don't do that work it's yeah, always just don't. like here's the bare minimum graphical upgrade which really right. like in this era has been a lot of games from the xbox 360 era that already came out on pc and ran native 4k they just take the pc version and port it back to the ps4 and xbox one and go now you have 4k graphics uh, I don't, I don't, yeah. I've not been very impressed with most of the remaster efforts from stuff that five, that's like five years ago. It feels very cash grabby in a way that is a little, yeah. I, whatever the, the industry needs money. And if that's the way they want to get it, that's fine. But like the Skyrim being re-released 12 times. And now we're like, I guess that's how I feel about Grand Theft Auto five when they made the announcement that like, that's going to be a PS five game and, and Sony like led off with that, you know, yeah. Grand Theft Auto five still sells, a bajillion copies a year so i get it but like they're not going to do anything to that game that was not already on the pc version they're just going to take the version that exists and pretty much put it out on the ps5 uh and that's fine whatever people can buy the ps5 version but it's just like they're not putting any extra oh, when they work will. into it <laughs> uh and and that's the part that i find kind of strange to watch on the pc side where like i got grand theft auto 5 in 2013 and I already own the remastered version because it looks exactly the same now as yep. it did seven years ago. It's just significantly easier for me to run on this machine now. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Still looks good. Should we talk Let's about sell. upcoming games? Yeah. Adam? Yeah, so somebody in the chat said uh, you're probably really bummed that you can't come on later this year for Cyberpunk. Uh, on the podcast, uh, and talk I am, about but also it's going to be really nice to play games in my own time. Uh, <laughs> not like, I mean, let's be real. Like, if I was here for Cyberpunk, we would get code probably four days beforehand, and then I would play fifteen hours a day for four days, and then we would put out a review. So, 
It's gonna be that's very what people fun don't realize. Like, they think it's all fun. It's not as fun. This stuff yeah. always comes down very last minute, and it's sixty plus hour games a lot of the time. Yeah, and this year is especially. I mean, we can we can I can run down a list of like things mm-hmm. off the top of my head are coming out this year, and it's like Vampire the Masquerade, Blood, Bloodlines Two, uh, Wasteland Three, Cyberpunk, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Watch Dogs Legion. All of those games are going to be like fifty to a hundred hours long. And they're all releasing between end of August and early November. And the zombie game from Techland. Uh, I think Dying Light 2 got delayed. I Dying don't think Light. that's actually coming out this year. Thank God, because that was a ridiculous list that you just said. Yeah, like that's <laughs> that's already... And like that's not all of the games coming out this year, because we haven't even seen... Like that doesn't count any of the PS5 or Xbox One launch... Or sorry, Xbox Series X launch games that we don't know about yet. Uh, we don't really know what's coming out in November for those consoles. Uh, we can pretty much guess that Assassin's Creed and Cyberpunk are going to be like in that launch window because those are both November 22nd and 20th or something like that. Um, but like that's like five games I just listed off. There's more. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, that's coming out in August, and that game looks gorgeous uh, 150 have, gigs 150 gigs though yeah <laughs> so, uh, we're dying man <laughs> we're, we're in the i'm, I'm like uh, i'm looking at upgrading my ssds and stuff and just wincing at how much i'm probably gonna have to spend on my <laughs> ssds this year because uh, it is uh it's getting really pricey uh all yeah. these games are are enormous and if you want to play most of them you're talking about uh I mean, I'm guessing we're probably going to need, if you wanted to play all the major releases in 2020 uh, or in, in fall 2020, I would guess that you're probably going to need like two terabytes of space uh, to download just those games. So, uh, oh, Adam went away. Yeah, Adam, Adam is gone. Uh, but yeah, we got the new Total War game comes out in August as well. Uh, the I'm like running down a, a list here. Oh, we've got those Tony Hawk remasters coming out, which I'm I'm really looking forward to. Um, I miss Tony Hawk one and two, so it'll be fun to replay those games. Hopefully, this remaster is better than the last one. Uh, New Crusader Kings comes out in September. So oh, I forgot that about that one. That's another lifetime game. In. Yeah, that's another like hundred hour. I mean, <laughs> and a hundred hours in that game is something that like the real fans of that game would say, "Oh, you've barely touched this." Oh, you got past the prologue. Uh, yeah, I've got friends who have played like thousands of hours of Crusader Kings 2 at this point. Uh, so yeah, that's coming. We've got the uh, the Squares Avengers game, which looks Humankind. very rough. Uh, I'm not sure how that one will turn out. We have a new Destiny expansion coming out. We have that Mafia remake coming out. We have a new Crash Bandicoot. Um yeah it's a lot of stuff uh and as i said that doesn't count like we have the microsoft event next week so uh that'll that's probably where they're going to start announcing uh halo infinite is going to be yep. title, for example i assume we'll get halo infinite uh release hopefully date. a forza um yeah probably a forza and i don't know maybe like a like there's a bunch of rumors right like there's rumors about a new fable mm-hmm. um there who knows maybe there will be more gears though that was last year so i would guess probably not mm-hmm. um i don't know it's very weird with microsoft because i feel like we don't know what any of their studios are working on they own yep. like 
20 studios at this point or whatever. And, and I feel like we don't know what any of them are working on except for Halo and Forza and yep. maybe a Fable game. Uh, and that kind of dovetails with the fact that like they haven't put out any games this entire generation. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious what they're going to announce there. Um, but that'll probably be our big rash of like, right now when you look at November, November looks super empty it's just assassin's creed and cyberpunk with confirmed release dates which is it's just because they're waiting yeah it's november 17th and november 19th and presumably at least one of those is a console launch day uh we just don't know which one yet uh maybe both of them are console launch days so uh mm-hmm. i expect in the next like week or two that list is going to look a lot more crowded because um, yep. there's a lot more stuff coming out later this year we just don't know a date yet so and already what we do know, like, I'm a specific old man kind of gamer at this point. I love yeah. tactics games. I love RPGs. I love, you know, 4X games. And that lineup that you just said, Vampire the Masquerade, you know, Wasteland 3, which will to our, I think, 2014 game yeah, of the year. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cyberpunk, I mean... I don't have enough hours in my life. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's like three. Uh, that's like that's like easily two hundred, maybe three hundred hours just for those three games. Uh, yeah, and like I just don't. I don't know, man. I I play. I, you know, I've spent seven years playing video games for a living, and even I look at this fall lineup and just go like, "There's just not enough time. Like, there's no. nobody could play all those games in a timely fashion." Uh, and then you you add in the fact that like you know console launch day, and here's like 15 games on launch day for people to play. Hopefully, uh, it just it feels like it might be very crowded. Um, yep. I like I had forgotten about uh there's also the the Star Wars Squadron or whatever. Oh yeah, uh, which looks fantastic as well. It's good year for a, a good year to own a Hotas. I guess is the <laughs> the point. Yeah, and I, Xbox I never Game Pass. Yeah, <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be excited for Flight Simulator, but I I am. <laughs> no, I've never been either, into man. one before, so this is for some reason. I actually, uh, when I play with the controller, I actually use inverted Y sticks because when I grew up, I used to play Flight Simulator a bunch. As I was uh-huh. saying, I had a PC and a console, so now I'm the only weirdo I almost discussed in the room who has to use inverted Y axes when I play like shooters and stuff. So whenever I go to game demos, like E3 or yeah, you're that guy, whatever I'm that guy, they hand me the thing and I'm like stumbling around drunk. I'm like, I can't play like this. I just can't (laughs) do it. Yeah. I'm a, I never thought I would like, I, I grew up sort of playing flight Sims, but when I say playing, I mean like, taking off and then crashing my plane into things. Cause that was like, I feel like the only way that you can play a flight sim as a kid uh, is if there's explosions happening. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, the goal it, because like my dad, uh, my dad's a pilot. So like he had a, a flight stick set up and all that uh, back in the days where that was like a very costly thing. Gordon's uh, got one. I dug this up. It's been in the basement since I don't know the two thousands. And I was gonna say that's a that's a tiny old little flight stick. <laughs> this this is the uh, what does that uh, connect micro- with? Is that still USB? It's it's USB, which is why I kept it. I Ooh. threw away the older connectors, but it's a force feedback too. Microsoft force feedback too. This was an awesome joystick back then. I'm I'm kind of waiting for the Star Wars game. Yeah, I've got a I, Thrustmaster back there that I've been waiting. I haven't used since I stopped playing Elite Dangerous. And I'm yeah, that's the thing is I've got mine out. from Elite, and that was like, 
probably the last time that I really was playing with a flight stick for anything. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like what else has come out since then, but that seems like probably it. Uh, so yeah, two two games in one year that presumably use flight sticks. Uh, <laughs> that'll be a, wait, a wait, big wait. year. What what about um? Uh, I keep saying elite dangerous no the the one that's that hasn't come out yet that you keep uh you still have on that paper star citizen. yeah star citizen yeah is it gonna come out this year <laughs> uh no <laughs> i'm gonna take the safe bet and say no uh, i think is, i think is they it claim it is out? well i know i think they claim it's coming out this year or at least the beta of the this campaign or whatever is coming out this year but i don't beta know. doesn't count yeah i i just don't believe that game will come out uh, they're like just why, milking people. <laughs> I feel like when they, yeah, I feel like when they come out, they don't get paid anymore, right? So, yeah. so why would you ever release? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll get to play that game. Uh, that game crowdfunded in the first year I was here, I'm pretty <sighs> sure, and still has not come out. So, nice. Uh, and these like personal markers of time that I look at. <laughs> just kind of like, uh, but yeah, it's gonna be. I don't know. It's like a really crowded fall. Uh, I. On the one hand, I think it's it's a sad one to miss. Like a console launch year is always really fun. Uh, I remember still like going to a warehouse in the dog patch before the Xbox One release and like playing through. It would have been like Dead Rising three and like Zoo Tycoon and whatever other garbage was in that that Microsoft lineup that year. Uh, and like that was a very fun time. Uh, I think. Alex Waro took the Xbox review and Jason took the PS4 or something. I yep. can't remember. Yep. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a fun year. Like that E3 was very fun. Uh, I'm sad we didn't get the console launch E3 because I feel like those are always the, the most fun E3s to be at. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really bummed. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. We didn't get one last E3. It would have been a yeah. console launch E3. It would have, oh man. I was looking forward to like one last E3, especially like, it just seems like that show's on the ropes. So now it's funny because now I feel like maybe I went to the final E3 that will ever happen, uh, which is a, is at least a, a feather in my cap, I guess. But uh, yeah, it, like, it seems like it'll be a really fun fall. It just also seems like a really hellish fall, especially to do this uh, you know, at a site where I was like the main, the main games person. Uh, like having, having Assassin's Creed and Cyberpunk released within two days of each other uh is is a nightmare scenario for for any reviewer i think so uh and yeah that's why i think that like at least one console has to be coming out on november 17th right like you've got those two games releasing the same exact week uh and i think november 17th is a tuesday so that would line up with like a standard release uh yeah i would i would make a bet on on that being one of the two release days but I was watching video of Valhalla where you play as the, the female version, right? Yeah. Uh, I was watching one with the male version and it was really crazy to me where this game is clearly at this point taking Witcher three, uh, you know, yeah. at those references and pulling it in. And that Viking looks an awful lot like Geralt. <laughs> they're just like, yeah, yeah, this is fake Geralt now. <laughs> they're, uh, they're really leaning on the, the Witcher three thing yeah. in, that, in that game uh, in some, in some cool ways. Like I, I think that game, does some interesting things like we wrote about in the preview, but it's nice. They, they ditched the like question mark icon from the Witcher three, which I thought when, when the Witcher three released was like very forward thinking, Mm -hmm. like, Oh wow. You don't know what's going to be here until you show up. Uh, It was Mm -hmm. really cool. 
Um, but as I said in the preview, like I think that, that method ended up kind of being limiting for Ubisoft because it means that you're only building like certain types of encounters. Like every single one has to be like, oh, you come here and here's a fort or here's like a battle or whatever. Whereas like the Witcher 3 would generally just, once you finished one of those quests, you would, they would just wipe the icon off the map and you would never go back there. Um, yep. So I think Ubisoft's done a smart thing where they're now like all of your points of interest are color coded. So there's like yellow ones mean you're like, you'll get money out of them. Blue ones mean it's like a mystery. Uh, and I think that's cool because it allows them to still do their standard Ubisoft thing where they just like cover the entire map in icons, except now you actually don't know what's going to be there until you show up. Um, mm -hmm. That is like a neat thing that I think hopefully will carry through to other, to other games. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's too many games. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I already was going to, I already felt that way when we had a lot of these releasing in the spring and now that they all got pushed back to fall, it just feels like it's, it's too many games for anybody to, to play. Even if you're somebody like me who plays too many video games, like even I'm if curious you're playing, to go sorry, ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. Yeah. I, I was just say, even if you're playing like eight hours a day, it's, it's too many games to get through all at once. So yeah, I'm curious to see the fallout of it, of them all now getting pushed back into the same time frame and in a time frame when a lot of hardcore gamers are going to be looking to drop $700 on a console. Yeah. Uh, there's not enough money, I think, to go around to make all of these games hits. Even if they deserve to be hits when they come out, it's going to be interesting to see which ones stick the landing. Especially right now, like you're launching a console in the middle of like a global recession. Uh, yeah. It, it's already going to be really tricky to sell these consoles in the fall. And then you're also talking about like, you know, seven, uh, not 700, but like $500 worth of like must have games coming out in the, uh, in the same period. It seems like a risky proposition, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, we'll it's see. cool. If you have the, the money and the time, I guess, uh, there's never been a better time to be a gamer. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the time we're running out of it. So let's, uh, let's do a couple questions before we get out of here. Does anyone need to go like, Super quick. I'm good. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, if you want to get your questions in, get them in the, the chat right now uh, if you're watching live. Or uh, if you're not watching live, the best place to do it is on Discord. There's a link in the description. We have a question segment or a channel that you can put them in, and I'll get to them whenever. Uh, a couple from the chat earlier. Uh, going back to th uh, Threadripper, the uh, Luke, I'm just going to call him Luke asked, uh, what's the probability of AMD to enable the support for RDIM and LD? LR DIM for the TRX platform to enable larger RAM capacity. I think it's unlikely because they have a pro part to sell now. Um, I know when the original Threadripper came out, they did say two terabytes possibly, but I, I think ECC support is is the end, right? So for that platform, um, but I so basically unlikely because go buy Threadripper Pro is probably the answer because you're spending probably as much on memory as you are on the cpu itself so it's i i'm sure that's what their their view would be okay uh and if you if you have a question for hayden and his vast keyboard knowledge now is definitely the time to get it in uh dennis siberian has one um what is your opinion on classic ibm and apple keyboards from the 80s and 90s also they want to wish you all the luck in your future endeavors oh thanks uh, I mean, Model M's are are very famous for for good reason. Uh, 
but I think that like for me personally, I, so like somebody, there's a company out there that makes like Model M's, like rehoused Model M's, or has the license to build to spec Model M's and sell them with modern connections. Um, yeah. But I think that usually is the stumbling block for most people at this point. Uh, for me, it's just easier to use a modern keyboard. Uh, also, everybody knows that I love dumb RGB stuff for no reason. So uh, that's part of it too. Uh, I'm using the, I'm still using, I don't know if I can get it high enough, the K95, yep. uh, which is Corsair's board. Uh, I think that that is probably my favorite keyboard at the moment, but that's obviously like a $200 keyboard. So um, yeah, I don't know. I've always thought about investing in one of those those Model Ms, uh, one of the, the like rebuild Model Ms. Um, but like that's a, I don't know. I, we go through like I'll say like a peek behind the curtain. I go through like a new keyboard every month because of reviews. So I think this this K95 has been on my desk longer than basically anything in in seven years because we have slowed down on reviews during the pandemic and all that. Um, usually that's like every month or two we have a, I have a new keyboard in and I have to use it for like a month to really get a feel for it. So it, uh, old goes out and the new gets swapped in and, and we keep on going, but okay. Yeah. Do the, do the remake model M's have modern features or is it just literally they work? You can plug them into new pieces. I, oh, that's a, That's mostly, it's mostly just like they have a, you know, you can use a USB connection on it. Cause I think th- those were all the, I can't remember the name of the circular connection the, well they're at and then they had a ps2 versions so yeah and that so like that's the they they've swapped them out to be usb connections and i don't know they like i haven't looked at i haven't looked in on them in a couple of years for all i know they might add you know media keys now or whatever but at the time at least it was very much here's just a cleaned up model m with yep. a uh with a usb connection I actually have an original model m somewhere downstairs it's and i will say i always want to use it but it's really there's a lot of pressure. I mean, back then they weren't concerned about you know RSI and putting a lot of stress on your wrist. So really, you were just sort of hammering on those keys, almost like a typewriter. Yeah. Um, and that the folks that make the sort of re- remake, they actually, if I believe, they it's based in the same city where the original Model M was built. And when IBM gave up, they basically bought the machinery. It's still made on the same machinery, I believe. It's original Model M's. So. Yeah, it's, cool. un- it's Unicomp. I just looked it up. They're based yeah. out of Lexington, Kentucky. So, yep. uh, And, yeah, they sell – it looks like they've changed up the color scheme in the last couple of years because they used to be, like, actual, real – they were that ugly beige color that all the original – uh, keyboards would have been, but mm-hmm. they've now make them black housing with white keys, uh, but still with the same buckling spring switch, um, which is is interesting. I don't know. I I think it I think it's a cool idea. Oh, it looks like they still make a, a beige version. They just have hyped up the black version on the homepage. Um, <laughs> they're not there. If you if you want one, they still sell them with with PS2 uh, hookups. So if you had like a classic PC and you really wanted to complete the look. Uh, you can still get brand new ones for for not that expensive. It looks like they're ninety bucks to get a a, a Model M. So uh, that's pretty not cool. Too bad, <laughs> but your roommates will hate you. Your <laughs> significant yes. other will hate you even more than like a cherry blue or whatever. They're a loud keyboard. <laughs> I have a question, Hayden. Is it worth paying for? Like Cherry's always been sort of the the standard for ninety percent of gaming. It feels like. A lot of the knockoffs are the knockoffs as good these days in your opinion? I think some of them are better. 
Uh, I think that they've, I think Cherry's kind of rested on his laurels a little too much over the last uh, couple of years. Um, I think that Cherry still has, like, in my opinion, a more reliable reputation than a lot of the knockoffs. Um, but that, that said, like, I think the feel of some of the new switches is really nice. Um, I, I've even, like, I've converted some of my friends over to some of the the knockoffs. Um, so like the razor optical switches, which are like somewhat just meant to feel like knockoff cherries. Yeah. That's what I'm using right now. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten friends hooked on those in recent, in recent days, not because of the, the optical part, whatever, like they're a very expensive switch and, and it doesn't really matter for what they say it matters. Um, razor is very big about like it's light speed performance, <laughs> which like, if you know anything about electricity is just, bogus um but like i still think it's a a very good feel on the switch uh and i think razor has really worked over the last five ish years to to overhaul their switch over and over until now it feels good and it's pretty reliable uh, i would say they make one of the better switches uh as far as knockoffs go and then gaterons are really popular as well uh they they make a lot of cherry knockoffs uh, and they tend to be one of the ones that gets thrown around a lot because they're pretty reliable knockoffs. Um, they don't have a tendency to fail as much as some of the other knockoff brands do. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I still use cherries cause I'm on this Corsair board and Corsair uses cherries, but I think in the last like two or three years, that distinction has become a lot less meaningful than it used to be. Uh, especially once like, now Logitech makes cherry knockoffs, uh, or at least rebrands cherry knockoffs in in their own uh, packaging and stuff. Uh, I think a lot of companies have have done a good job with that in the last two or three years. Uh, the tricky part for me is knowing which knockoffs to buy, because like me, I know like I like cherry blues, so I'm like I'm yeah. looking for a cherry blue, and then you have to do research into like okay, that means razors orange versus logic. Yeah, it's really just like clicky is the keyword. Yeah. Like everyone, that's the thing is they're all like three categories at this point, and so you have linear switches, which are your red knockoffs. You yeah. have your tactile switches, which are your brown knockoffs, and then you have your clicky switches, which are your blue knockoffs. And that's kind of become like the standard language across every manufacturer. And so, yeah, like Razor will talk about clicky oranges, I think, or clicky mm-hmm. purples in the case of the optical switches. Uh, and you just have to know which what your preference is from those like three baskets in order to, to make it work. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I would not say that you should spend the money on Cherry just because at this point, I think a lot of those those knockoffs are perfectly fine, especially for like the average person who's just going to type on their keyboard. Okay. Uh, another one for you, Hayden, um, from Patrick G. Can you recommend something, recommend something for a large-handed right-hander uh, that uses a claw-slash-palm hybrid grip? Ooh, that's a very specific question. <laughs> very specific. Uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I would say Myonix makes a lot of large form factor mice. Um, so if you're willing to go niche, uh, they're probably maybe your best bet. Uh, I would also give, um, Zowie, Zoe, Zowie. I don't know. I like Zowie. Uh, I, I would give them a look, uh, mainly cause they make three different sizes of all their mice. Um, the only problem with them is they tend to use older sensors in a lot of their mice still. Uh, but I think that's started to change. They've started to use the, the 3360 on their, their mice finally. Uh, after like five years after everybody else. 
Um, but I don't know. My my personal favorite is going to be the 502. I don't think I have small hands. Uh, I don't know. It's I'm not I'm not like a huge meat mitt person, but I definitely don't have small hands, and I I like the 502. Um, it kind of I don't know. It's hard because those are things that you can't really test anywhere anymore. Like you, the Best Buy doesn't really have like a big mouse display, and even if they did, you probably wouldn't want to go touching things during the current <laughs> situation. Um, but yeah, I would say Myonics. Myonics definitely is like one of the ones that I I remember pulling their mice out of the box and being like, this is gigantic. Uh, and that's M I O N I X. Uh, if you're looking. Uh, Doesn't Zowie have the uh, the thing you can test too, like the kit? Yeah, they have a they have a test kit. I don't know what they're doing with that now that it's a uh, coronavirus times. Oh but yeah, yeah. I would recommend if you're if you want to test something in house, we reviewed that like a couple months ago. It's like a a ten dollar deposit, and then I think you pay for shipping, and they ship you like a giant like suitcase sized box of mice, and it's every mouse they make in different sizes. Um, and I would not buy it. So that you're supposed to send the whole kit back and then buy the mouse directly from them afterwards. And the good thing about that is all the mice they send you are the old sensor. They're the 3310, which is uh, what Zowie was based on for a long, long time. Uh, send those back and then just buy the mouse that you want with the new 3360 in it, uh, and you'll be a lot happier, I think. Um, but yeah, that's a good way to get your feel for every mouse in their lineup at the same time. Because uh, they make they they send you every size of every mouse they make, which is is pretty neat for ten bucks. So okay, uh, here's a, a good games uh, slash GP one. Uh, Gray Matter on Discord said, uh, "Now that we have seen the next few upcoming games in preview events, how are you all feeling about their performances? Do these games sell you on purchasing the next gen GPUs for PC?" Uh, we're going to have to wait and see what the next-gen GPUs for PC offer, just yeah. to be the kind of the Debbie Downer. Uh, like, you're going to have to test it, and everyone was super pumped for RTX 20 series before it came out, and then everyone tested it and said, oh, this doesn't offer much actual gaming performance increase versus the 10 series for the same price. So, I mean, just always wait. I have great feelings, personally. Like, my gut tells me that this is going to be a great generation of upgrades from both AMD and NVIDIA. And I have a feeling that ray tracing performance is going to get a lot better, at least on NVIDIA cards. I'm not sure about AMD, because they haven't done it yet. Uh, So my gut's telling me it's going to be good. I would wait for reviews. Yeah, I will. I'll I'll say, I'll give, like, my blanket advice right now, because I've had friends who are looking to upgrade this year and i pretty much unilaterally told them like please do not upgrade your pc this year uh because we don't know i mean we've heard like the raw specs about the new consoles but i feel like we haven't really heard a lot of like the particulars nobody's really spent a lot of hands-on time doing tests like even digital foundries tests have been pretty like okay surface level here's what we can tell you um and my feeling is that we're on the cusp of, I mean, it, this happened in 2013 when the new consoles came out. If you look at games in 2013 versus 2014, like the sea change of hardware that happened uh, is is enormous. And uh, if you like upgraded in 2012, you probably had to upgrade again by like 2014, 2015, because the hardware that you had was so far behind where those consoles were uh, at that point. Um, I think that like, I would be holding off, especially in terms of upgrading 
CPU and upgrading storage and particularly, particularly the latter um, because of all the talk about the SSDs and the new consoles. I have a feeling that M2 drives are about to become very important to PC gaming in the next year or two. Uh, and how important I think is just a, a factor of the developers and how much of a hit they're willing to take on designing around PC. Um, so yeah, I'm just telling people I would, I would not upgrade this year. I would wait until at least the new GPUs come out and I would probably wait until after the consoles come out and people start releasing games to see how PC performance is on those ports. Because I think uh, you're going to have a lot of third-party stuff that's geared towards every platform for a bit. But I think in the next like two years, we're going to see those PC ports become more restrictive than they were this generation, um, mainly because of the storage constraints. I, I think it, I think Brad and I have talked about this before. Like I think uh, a, an M2 drive might end up becoming like a system spec thing in the next generation in a way that this generation you could get away with I mean, I'm still running 7,200 RPM hard drives in here, uh, and that's been fine for a decade now. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that the next generation, you're going to see high-end SSDs become actually a thing that people are building their games around in a way they weren't this generation. That said, I think if you do need storage now, I think SATA drives are going to become like those 7,200 RPM drives. I think yeah. they're going to be just fine for, for what they are. I hope I just the the talk about the streaming stuff on the consoles. Uh, I'm I'm very curious what it'll end up doing on the PC side. Once again, I think we have like two years of of leeway here because people are going to be building things cross gen for the time being. But once everybody is like all in on the PS5 and the Series X, uh, I'm very curious what that they'll what that'll do to the PC ports um, if they're designing games around having instantaneous load times in all of these different open world games. Um, I don't know. It'll be very interesting because like the PC and, and SSDs have been the way to shorten the console load times for so long. Uh, I don't, I can't think of a time where it's been the opposite where the PC might be the slower load time that you don't want to wait through. So uh, I don't know. I think it'll be a cool console generation. I like console years because the hardware just like leaps ahead yeah, uh, and I think it'll leap ahead this year, and then I think it'll leap again in like a year or two when the the next gen of GPUs comes out. So, I do want to say though, going back to your uh, original question, is how I feel about the next gen of cards. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, and you shouldn't probably say it, but just buy it. I think <laughs> there is no way in hell that this time next january next february or even you know december that you will be going at man i really want to go out and buy a 2080 or i really want to go buy uh 5700 xt right i think with big navi with next gen video showing up you are not going to look backwards unless it's like some stupidly good deal um whether it's worth doing an upgrade is to be determined but Come on, it's 90% chance that we these next-gen cards are just going to be incredible leaps in performance for PC gaming, period. So, yeah, we're going to see amazing, amazing stuff at the end of this year, early next year from AMD and NVIDIA. So I, I think, yes, just buy it. Well, I, uh, Radeon has already said that uh, AMD said its big Navi Radeon card is going to be out before the consoles. So 
if Hayden's right and it's going to be November 17th for at least one of them, that means Big Navi's coming out sometime before then. Yeah, I'm looking so, forward to AMD having having ray tracing finally. Uh, I think that'll yeah. be really good for that ecosystem. Uh, I think that part of the problem is it's very hard. I mean, whatever, NVIDIA owns like 80% of the, the PC market at this point. So it's not like they're uh, designing for a minority of, of people. But between yeah. the consoles not having ray tracing and AMD cards not having ray tracing, I think that, that has held back ray tracing yeah. adoption. Uh, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to everybody being on the same playing field with that so that we can finally, again, like Watch Dogs looks amazing. I'm really looking forward to that stuff becoming normalized in, in big budget games. Uh, 3080 or, or 3090 PC World just says buy it. Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to see the headlines. <laughs> Gordon, yeah. Gordon just says I'm buy just it. Saying, I just, <laughs> just, just buy it. There, look, I... Buying a current generation part is like going out and buying a 1080 Ti when the 20 series comes out. I'm sorry, and I it was stick great. To that. It was a great purchase. However, I will agree with you right now and say, not do not buy a graphics card right now. You didn't buy it for 700 dollars at the time the 2080 came out. Yeah, they were they There's were a not 200 dollars price difference. They were <laughs> 1080 Ti's were 650. I tell time. you what. No, there's a two hundred dollar price difference. Price difference, and yes. But there's the two hundred dollar price difference. A ten eighty Ti and a twenty eighty give you the same traditional gaming performance yes. for that two hundred dollars. So you had a ray tracing. If you'd have bought the twenty eighty Ti at the time, like I said, it's been two years now. You're probably looking to upgrade now or next generation. You saved yourself two hundred bucks. There's been a handful of games. Like Hayden was saying, I mean the only really standout ray trace games so far have been Control, Control, Metro Exodus, Metro. and actually, I really like Minecraft RTX. Yeah, but that's, yeah, sure. <laughs> but, but that's, that's like a, so that's, that's like three must-have games. Yeah, uh, but still, that 1080 Ti was behind the curve when it was purchased. It was at the it was nearly at the end of its life, and investing sinking money into a 1080 Ti when you had say a 980. Why not just save yourself six hundred and fifty dollars and wait till now? That was what I never really got. Is like, why do you buy you a product go from that... a nine eighty to a ten eighty Ti? <laughs> people, yeah, that's the, people that's certainly is, did it. No, I yeah, but I think it's mostly like people upgrading from like, oh, I have a five year old card, and now my options are a ten eighty Ti or a twenty eighty at the time, and like I think that is a much harder. That is very hard. At, at that yep. point, like a ten eighty Ti would would do pretty much the same thing for cheaper. Or the two years you've had it, but you uh, would not be able to enjoy control with ray tracing, right? Sure. I, I think the bigger problem now is like if you were buying that as a long-term investment, uh, having a 2080 or 2080 Ti, you're probably fine to not upgrade your GPU for the next three to five years, depending on on how long you like to stretch your hardware. Whereas right. if you bought a 1080 Ti, you know, last year or whatever, and now all of the games are going to have ray tracing. You're definitely not getting that experience um, that you would have if you had paid for the the higher end card. I tell you what, man. Beyond ray tracing, DLSS 2.0 is the real freaking deal, man. DLSS 2.0 kicks ass. Right, and again, the buying that two twenty series instead of buying older ten series. That it's just going to get you a longer, you know, it's going to have longer legs in the end. So yeah, I mean, I this think, is a, this I think will the never thirty series is gonna. Away. I think the 30 series is going to be a beast in every way. That's my guess. So I don't think we're going to have this debate with the 20 to the 30, like we did from the 10 to the 20. 
Probably not. I mean, I, I don't think so either. I think it's it's you know they're getting a process jump and you know and of course you got you you have Nvidia. I mean you have AMD coming out with something. So competition means maybe prices will be more in line with people what people are hoping for. So it'll be awesome. It'll be awesome to be a PC gamer, right? Yeah, that's what I'm hoping is I'm hoping AMD forces like the same way that they forced Intel to come down. I'm hoping they they force Nvidia down a little bit. Yeah, uh, I think that. Nvidia has been in a very good position for the past couple of years. They have the they have like the ownership of the market. They've had the better cards, uh, and it's they've been doing it for so long now that I feel like it's just a foregone conclusion to them. Uh, but I think the Intel AMD battle this past year or two has really proven how fast things can flip. Yep. Uh, I don't think two years ago I ever would have recommended buying an AMD processor, and now I'm looking to upgrade and looking at AMD processors. So yeah. it's it's amazing to me how fast the narrative can change. Um, I remember you being on this show talking about, I'll believe it when I see it, over yeah. and over again, every time for AMD. Yeah, man, because they, they screwed up so many times, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and AMD dropped the ball over and over and over, uh, but all it takes is, like, one hit to really be back in yeah. the game, and it's very funny now to see, like, laptop manufacturers talking about going over to AMD, and it, it is it is unprecedented in the time that I've been <clears throat> at the site, um, and yeah. so it's it's just fascinating to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I, I bought an AMD card back in 2012 uh, when I bought a 7850 because those were good entry level cards back before I worked here, um, but they just haven't had anything worth buying in in so long now. Uh, I'm really curious whether they can deliver and whether that in turn forces Nvidia to finally come down because I feel like the 2080 and the 2080 Ti prices really have gotten out of control. Yeah. Well, there's no, they have no competition. Yeah, they have that, no competition. End, so. so. Competition's good, remember, Hayden? Except in game stores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, we have some awesome questions in Discord, but we're not going to be able to get to all, uh, all of them. But there's there's one specifically that, that I want to hear uh, Hayden's take on. Uh, this is from CauseMC. This is something we've talked about before. Is it time to check dual-core CPUs off the support bus for gaming, or do we need to pander to 20% according to the Steam hardware survey, bearing in mind that most of these likely are MacBooks, laptops, IGP systems? Uh, I mean, we were talking earlier about, like, I mean, why wouldn't they support them because most of these games are still using one core? So I, I don't know. I Like, yes, theoretically, uh, I also think that eight gigs of RAM is not enough for most games at this point. Uh, but that said, there's not really a reason not to, as long as they still support it. Um, I, CPU is just not a big factor in, in most of these games. So, um, I don't know. I haven't looked at like, I haven't checked the system requirements for a tactics game or anything in a, in a while. And maybe some of those you could say, if they're still supporting dual core, like why, uh, if, if like Total War or or Chimera Squad or whatever is supporting a dual core machine, I would say that's probably a mistake at this point. Uh, but that said, like for for a shooter or whatever, like none of that matters. Uh, it just doesn't doesn't seem like the the core count really matters at all at this point. So I'm sure there's somebody out there like he's you know whoever asked the question, they say it's mostly laptops and stuff like that. But I'm sure there's like somebody rocking their CPU from a decade ago that's still a dual core because there hasn't really been a a real reason to, to upgrade, um, at least as a as a gaming person. Okay, so I just looked up XCOM Camera Squad system requirements. 
Uh, okay, so yes, it it does require a quad core processor. So okay, yeah. you need a two point four gigahertz quad core. But get this: for graphics, you only need a one gigabyte ATI Radeon seven seven seventy or an <laughs> Nvidia GeForce six fifty. That's a that's a PS four level. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, here's the thing, though. I mean, they say uh, quad core required. Dual core with hyperthreading is that a quad Gets the core? Job done. Yeah, it is in the eyes of games. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's I, the thing is none of that stuff. Like, I, it's just so it's so core constrained. Still, like, you're none of those games are using more than one or two cores. Uh, open and, world and games. Even a lot of the tactics, tactics games. games still are pretty bad about using all the cores equally. So mm-hmm. uh, there's just not a big reason. Like, I own a I own a six six core twelve thread machine, and like the gaming reason or the gaming aspect is not the reason I own that processor. It has never used all six cores at once. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I, I want to point out that Hayden point said earlier, what are the biggest games in the world? Fortnite, Minecraft, yeah, Fortnite. multi, multi-billion dollar franchises. Do you think they're going to cut off dual cores? No. Why would they? There's just no, there's no reason to. In fact, and if you're a developer and like, I would like to be a multi-billion dollar franchise. You want to cast as wide a net as possible, so you. I do think everybody. that AAA next gen games are going to start cutting off dual cores, though. I think Battlefield I hope. Six or whatever random number they're going to give it this time around is not going to support dual cores. I mean, that's what, but that's what I was joking earlier. Like, I feel like when 2013, when the PS4 and Xbox One launched, that was a lot of. We saw a lot of PC people saying like, "Oh, maybe games will finally use." more than four cores because and they're all happen. eight core machines now and nothing happened. Nothing changed. I went uh, back over my articles from back then. Cause I did those kinds of things. I was compared yeah. to a, to a PC and it's like, Oh, this, 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 the only difference that really happened is been direct X 12 for Xbox. Yeah. Which is, like, and that's barely used on the PC side still. Yeah. And that's been nothing to do with the hardware. AMD being in all the hardware has made a big difference. Just the, fact that x86 is in the consoles now that we see a lot more ports that was the biggest difference exactly and that's the thing like i think this time i think uh ray tracing will be a big thing Mm -hmm. the fact that console support ray tracing means developers will actually add it into the into their ports and then i think the storage question is the one that i'm really concerned about uh i i really think we are entering an era where a 7200 rpm hard drive is just not going to cut it anymore and you're going to need at least an SSD and maybe something faster in terms of an, M- an M2 instead of a SATA drive. Uh, I think that's going to be the question this generation. But in terms of like CPUs, I don't think much is going to change. I don't think developers are going to suddenly start making more complicated CPU games. Uh, just, there's nothing that really is using that, that power, even as it is. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, it, it, it's a fun year. Like console mm-hmm. launch years are fun because uh, you get all the speculation and you have not been let down by the hardware yet. So, or the pricing. Yeah, or the pricing. <laughs> those those uh, seven hundred dollar rumors are still floating around for that. That's my guess. Xbox. I'm sticking to it. It's, uh, it's brutal. Yeah. If they're gonna have seventy dollar games. Seven hundred dollar Xbox. Yeah. Seven seven seven. Well, well it's a payment plan. I mean, it's true. <laughs> You sign up and you just do the payment plan where you pay, you know, $100 a month and that makes it really, and they, they self finance it. None of this, you throw it in your credit card and pay for the damn thing for 12 years, right? So, I mean, yeah. And, and 
$700 console doesn't seem that, that wild when I think about how much phones cost nowadays. So yeah, uh, blame phones, blame phones. Yeah. Blame phones being like $1,500. It's crazy. All right, Gordon, uh, take us out of here. I'm definitely hungry. All right. Uh, definitely hungry. Time for lunch. And let me find my notes. Sorry. I I lost it all. (laughs) I was not expecting it. Uh, so check back next X check back. Actually, I do want to say, uh, Special shout out to Hayden Dingman. He was on the original first no, first full nerd episode zero. This will be his last full nerd as an actual PC world member. Maybe we'll have him on in the future. Hopefully that would be awesome. But I do want to say thank you for your service, Hayden, playing all those games. It is not an easy job. Everybody thinks it's the easiest thing in the world. You get paid for playing games. It is actually not true, and I'm sure Hayden can tell you just how difficult that is. But check back for uh, check back next week for your fix of PC Talk on the Full Nerd for audio listeners. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Send questions and comments to the Full Nerd at PCWorld.com, and also please leave us a review on one of those sites because every time you do, uh, Hayden tries a new keyboard. Thank you for coming. I'm Gordon Ung with Brad Chakras. Adios, y'all. Hayden Dingman. I'll miss you guys. It's been fun. And Adam Patrick Murray's going to hit the off switch. See you later, keyboard master Hayden. Hayden.